Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Last week, we presented the first half of a mysterious old doubleheader featuring the letter from yesterday from the series Dark Fantasy. If you missed it, you might want to listen to that episode before we dive into the second half. The two episodes we chose for this doubleheader are both from Dark Fantasy. In the past, we have found this series to be a frustrating blend of compelling openings and incomprehensible plot twists. And in our discussion after the show, we'll decide if either or both of the stories improve our opinion of the series. In December of 1941, an issue of Movie Radio Guide published a letter from George M. Homaker. It was in response to a Lights Out fan club asking about other shows similar to Lights Out. Hammaker's letter mentioned Dark Fantasy, a new series written by Scott Bishop. The letter is worth mentioning because Scott Bishop was actually a pseudonym used by George Hammaker. A native of Kansas, Hammaker wrote pulp series and performed on stage before joining Topeka Station WIBW in the early 1930s. There, he wrote for the local WIBW players and the Crime Patrol. His work was featured in other shows, including Grand Hotel, First Nighter, Grand Central Station, Silver Theater, and Lights Out. In 1936, Homaker moved to Oklahoma City and continued to write for series such as Tales of the Witch Queen, The Heart of Martha Blair, and Calling Detective O'Leary. After his run on Dark Fantasy, Scott Bishop went on to create and write another radio series, The Strange Dr. Karnak, which followed the exploits of the titular doctor as he investigated supernatural mysteries. Sadly, no episodes of this series are known to exist. Fortunately for horror fans, 27 of Bishop's original 31 Dark Fantasy episodes survive today. Last week, Tim presented the Dark Fantasy episode he thought would change our opinions, and today I present mine. Afterward, we figure out if Scott Bishop's work is as good as Lights Out, or if George Homaker suckered us again. Here's The Headless Dead, first broadcast January 23rd, 1942. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone. And the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Dark fantasy. I am the master of the headless dead. I say, guard. Just call me Swiss, sir. Spelled with an E at the end. Uh, yes, 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 of course. You remind me before. What were you about to say, sir? I was about to observe that this Tower of London is quite a historic place. That it is, sir. Historic indeed. And uh, haunted, I have heard tell. Oh, have you now, sir? Oh, yes. Don't tell me you haven't heard stories about the Tower's ghosts. Perhaps I have. Perhaps not. Of course, I don't believe that sort of rubbish, you know. Rubbish? Certainly rubbish. (laughs) Don't tell me, Mr. Swift, uh, with an E. Don't tell me you believe in such things as ghosts and uh, and haunts. What I believe, sir, I believe. Certainly not the legend of the gambling spook of Wycott Hall. The ghost invariably appears whenever a gambling game is in progress at Wycott Hall here in the town. And always wins the stakes. Yes. Don't tell me you believe such a fantastic yarn as that. Or or such an unbelievable story as the one about the pig-faced specter of the rectory. I imagine Brother Randolph would tell you there's nothing fantastic about the story at all. Brother Randolph? Yes, sir. He's the overseer of the rectory. He's seen the specter many times. Well, he's probably just superstitious. Brother Randolph says the thing is always dressed in a long black cloak. As the body of a human, but the face is that of some grotesque and repulsive animal. Mm-hmm. 
It sounds like an old wives' tale. Well, mind you, sir, I'm, I'm not trying to convince you about such things. Uh, that's the entrance to the choir loft, the chapel over there. Hmm, chapel. Didn't know there was one in here. It's a chapel of St. Peter at Vincula. Is it uh, possible for me to go in there? <laughs> Picking your body, sir. That's what the climb up the stairs was for. We always like to show visitors the choir loft, the chapel. Well, then, uh, let's have a gander at the place, shall we? Yes, indeed, sir. Yeah, the key. We always keep this locked. More abbot than anything else. Nobody ever climbs those steps unless they're showing them through the tower. Yeah, I say. It's dark in there. Uh, how about a light, my man? Oh, no, blimey. I completely forgot to turn the lights on. The fuse box down below. If you don't mind waiting, sir. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Wait. I wouldn't ask anyone to climb those steps again. There's enough light coming through the stained glass panes. I say, will you lead the way? Yes, 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 of course. Uh, watch your step, sir. Uh, step up here. Ah. There you are, sir. You can observe the chapel below, sir. Yes. Deserted looking, isn't it? It isn't as deserted as you might think, sir. Hmm? What was that? You see only as far as you permit yourself to see, sir. I don't believe I understand. If you look for emptiness, sir, you see emptiness. But it is empty down there. Is it, sir? I suppose you're trying to tell me this chapel is haunted, too. Hasn't it a right to be, sir? Right. Yes, indeed. You see, sir, it's the burial place of the headless dead. <laughs> it's another of those idiotic legends. Hardly a legend. You see those flagstones down there, in front of the altar? Faintly, yes. Those stones form more than just the sanctuary floor, sir. They are also tombstones. Why do you tell me such a thing as that, Mr. Swift? Because it's truth. You mean people are buried beneath those flagstones? Including, I might add, two of England's queens. Not actually. Oh, yes. Actually. I've never heard that before. Few people have, sir. Then... That's why you say the place down there isn't deserted. In a manner of speaking, that's what I mean. Yes. Have you observed the huge pipe organ here in the loft, sir? Hmm? Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. I noticed when we came in. But getting back to what you were talking... It's quite a famous instrument, I might say. Been played by dozens of famous people. Oh, it has. Uh, could I play it? Well, it's, it's against regulation, sir, but, well, if you play softly, sir. Why, now, I say that's, that's mighty good of you. I do have somewhat of a reputation for playing the organ. You play well, sir. Quite well. Thank you. A rather old instrument, isn't it? Hmm. Beautiful tone, though. Beautiful. Before it's too late, play. That voice, what is it? No one knows. He always speaks like that in Latin. Whenever a stranger plays his organ for the first time. Who it is. No one has ever seen who it is. 
You'll hear no more of him today. But what's the explanation? Who is it? Why does he do that? There is no explanation. I must admit, sir, I've often heard of the ghost of St. Peter's Chapel, but this is the first time I've actually heard him. He always does that? Whenever a stranger plays this organ for the first time. Will he return if I play again? No. He always speaks just once. Then he's never heard again until another organist plays for the first time. Amazing. Absolutely incredible. I, I see, sir. It's, it's about closing time. Do you mind if I leave you now? I, I know, I know. Of course not. You recall your way out of the tower, I trust. Look around a while longer if you wish. I'll, I'll return later to lock this car loft. But I... I don't know whether I want to remain here. Oh, don't worry, sir. You're quite all right. Besides, you don't believe in such rubbish as ghosts. Yes, but I... I'm happy to have shown you around, sir. By the way, what did you say your name is? Holman. Frederick J. Holman. Well, then I'm very happy to have known you, Mr. Holman. Who knows? Perhaps your visit here will make you a changed man. Hmm. Now, whatever did he mean by that? I say. What's come over me? I feel so sleepy. Yes. Sleepy. Ah, I'd best sit here. Here in this pew. Hmm. Strange. Never felt like this before. I'll sleep here a while. Then... Chapel pew. I say, the door's closed now. Mr. Swift definitely returned, locked me in. That's strange. Why didn't he awaken me? What's that? No. No. It can't be. Those stones at the foot of the altar. They're being pushed up by someone underneath. Hands and arms, long, bony arms, pushing up the flagstones. And over to the right, two ghostly figures rising out of the tombs in the floor. No. No, it's, it's not possible. It can't be. Figures. Dozens of them now. Leaving their tombs. Forming a procession down the middle aisle of the chapel. <laughs> and each of them is headless. And carrying his head before him in his hands. down the center aisle. Marching. 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 On soundless feet. That man in front. The one in ancient armor. He seems to be the leader of those fantastic creatures. Is this a dream? Is this a nightmare? No. It is not a dream. Huh. How did you get up here? Just a moment ago, you, you were down below, leading the procession. 
It is not our custom to hold our rights while an intruder is present. But I was locked in here. I didn't intend to be here. Now that you are here, you must make the most of it. What? What do you mean? You are now as one of us. It, it was you who prayed when I played the organ earlier today. Yes. I always pray when a stranger sits at the console. You see, it was I who first played this organ when it was installed. Don't you think I play well? But why do you return when others play it? Because no one could ever play it as well as I. Therefore, I pray for them. You, you're dead. And yet, you're playing the instrument now. Yes. I always provide the music for our nightly meetings. I, I don't understand all this. Those others down there, they're ghastly creatures. Headless. Yes. They were less fortunate than I. You see, I managed to keep my head. They were executed? How else would they have come to be headless? You see, we would become quite uncomfortable lying in our graves beneath the flagstone floor if we didn't arise occasionally and stretch ourselves. Good heaven. Look you, down below there. Will it amaze you for me to tell you that in that procession are some of history's most famous people? Surely this isn't happening. Indeed. Believe me, you're quite mistaken. Didn't you know that here in the chapel of St. Peter at Vincula are buried such famous people as Sir Thomas More, Henry VIII's queens, Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard? Do remember that, but as I... As well as Lady Jane Grey and Dudley, her husband, and Sir Walter Raleigh and the Duke of Monmouth. But they have all been dead for hundreds of years. How true. How very true. Rick Holman, you will join us. What? I said, you will join in the procession with us. No, not I. It must be so. No one can look upon the possession of the headless dead unless he joined them to save himself. Save myself? What do you mean? You will discover what I mean if you refuse to take part in the ceremony. But not now. Not tonight. Perhaps later. Yes, some other time. It will be more satisfactory for you to join us tonight. I, I can't tonight. Can't we make it some other night? I honestly, I fell asleep here. It's later than I thought. It's exactly midnight. I must return home. My family will be frantic. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll return to join you tomorrow at midnight. What? Tomorrow at midnight. You will return to join in the possession. Yes. Yes, that's fine. You can count on it. Raise your right hand. My right hand? Yes. Raise it. Now, repeat after me. I solemnly swear... I solemnly swear... By the souls of the sacred dead... By the souls of the sacred dead... To return to this chapel tomorrow at midnight... To return to this chapel... Tomorrow at midnight. So help me heaven. So help me heaven. Now, you may go. Yes, but the door to the choir loft is locked. It is locked. But you will have no trouble going out through it. And remember, Frederick Holman, tomorrow night at midnight... Frederick, dear, 
You're worried about something. I know you are. It was one o'clock when you came home last night. You've never done that before. No, I know, Laura, my dear, I know. You acted so strangely when you did get home. What's more, you didn't sleep. You tossed all night long. Laura, I must tell you something. Well, I certainly think I have some explanation coming. Yes. Yes, you have. I... I don't know how you're going to accept this, but... Well, here goes. I went to visit the Tower of London yesterday. I saw the prison cells and the execution and torture chambers. Finally, the guard took me to the little chapel of St. Peter Adventure. So I promised to return to the chapel tonight at midnight. And they permitted me to leave the chapel. Frederick, surely you were dreaming. No, I'm sure it was no dream. It was all too realistic. I saw those people and heard them. Oh, but things like that don't happen. I'm very positive this happened, Laura. Oh, nonsense. You were just affected by those ghost stories that guy told you about the tower. Oh, dear, you're wrong. I've never believed in such things before. Now? Well. But surely you don't intend to go back there tonight. Do you? I don't know, Laura. I don't know. I say, Laura, are you there? Laura! Oh, I'm sorry, dear. I thought for a moment we'd been disconnected. Yes, I can hear you now. And what I called for, dear, was to say I'm dining at the club tonight. Yes, old Simon Joster is off to the Orient. We're having a dinner for him. Yes, I'll be home early. Huh? What's that? No, Laura. I decided not to go to the tower tonight. I think you're probably right. It all must have been a dream. Mr. Holman, your car, sir. Oh, thank you, Henry. Uh, shall I drive you to the tower, sir? The tower? Well, of course not, Henry. Drive me straight home. Whatever made you think I'd want to go to the tower at, at this time of night? I, I don't rightly know, sir. I, begging your pardon, Mr. Holman, I... I, I don't know what made me ask you that. Really, I don't. Don't drive me home, Henry. Yes, sir. Oh, by the way, what time do you have, Henry? It's just a minute or two before midnight, sir. Mm. Oh, very well. Take me home at once. Did you say something, sir? Did you hear something, Henry? Hear something, sir? Yes, that voice. Voice, Mr. Holmes. Don't you hear that voice? No, sir, I don't hear nothing, sir. to him. You must be tired, sir. There, there, there's nobody. That voice. Really, sir. Don't tell me you haven't heard of the gambling spook of Wycotar. In 20 P.O.S. There 
No. No, it can't be. Or to the Randolph's pig-faced specter of the rectory. No one could ever play the organ as well as I. That's what he said. The man in armor. You see, only as far as you permit yourself to see, sir. You see, I manage to keep my head. If you look for emptiness, sir, you see emptiness. Then, but it wasn't a dream. The flagstones of the sanctuary floor are also tombstones. It's true. It wasn't a dream. You must join our procession. Henry. The headless dead. Join our procession. The headless dead. Join our procession. The headless dead. Henry, in the name of heaven, man, look where you're driving. I can't stop, sir. Look out, you're going to hit that part. Mr. Holmes! Henry, look out! Mr. Holman, are you all right, sir? We hit that truck and... Mr. Holman, we, we hit that truck broadside and... Mr. Holman... Greetings, Frederick Holman, and welcome. I am pleased that you have kept your appointment with us. You have heard The Headless Dead, tonight's original tale of dark fantasy by Scott Bishop. Ben Morris played Frederick Holman, Eleanor Naylor Corrin was Mrs. Holman, Fred Wayne was Swift, Garland Moss was the leader of the Headless Dead, and Murillo Schofield was heard as the chauffeur. Next Friday night at this same time, we'll bring you a strange and weird tale of the unusual. Death is a savage deity, based upon Scott Bishop's novel of the same name. Listen for this breathtaking tale of witchcraft and black magic. Dark Fantasy originates each Friday night in the studios of WKY, Oklahoma City. This is the National Broadcasting Company. That was The Headless Dead from Dark Fantasy here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. This is our Part two of our mysterious old doubleheader featuring two episodes of Dark Fantasy. The last one last week we did was Letters from Yesteryear. And it was yesterday. Yesterday, whatever. Same Let's thing. get it right. We don't <laughs> want was, Scott Bishop's lawyers calling us up. <laughs> maybe if it was yesteryear, I would have liked it better. <laughs> the Headless Dead is part two. Again, trying to see if we can find something in the dark fantasy world that we like and joshua brought this to the table thinking this might change our opinion of bishop's writing and dark fantasy why did you choose this one joshua well adjust our opinion might be a better way to phrase it (laughs) It seems very drastic um but i chose it for several reasons like tim's choice last week i chose it because it is an uncharacteristically simple story for Bishop, because as we mentioned, he has a penchant for losing his own thread and, you know, turning a strong premise into a convoluted mess. So whether you like the story or not, it makes linear sense for the most part. And uh, Bishop never abandons his premise. It's a ghost story, plain and simple, with no sudden appearances by singing gorillas or Bentonians or anything just from left field. It also unlike a lot of Bishop scripts, it gets to the castle, to use a phrase from an, an old episode of this <laughs> podcast, um, as in it starts where the story starts. It's a story about a ghost in the Tower of London and just boom, we're in the Tower of London. It also, to answer some uh, a question that Eric brought up on last week's episode about whether or not Scott Bishop writes 
well for audio. I think it contains a number of really strong audio drama elements, including the ghostly Latin singing that appears and then comes back. And speaking of coming back, my final reason for choosing it is the very final scene, which I think is a really well-crafted piece of radio drama. And that's Frederick Holman getting into the cab with the driver who mysteriously asks him if he wants to go to the tower. And then all the audio flashbacks and the crash and some uncharacteristically intense performances at the end with the cabbie really selling this horrific decapitation death that happens in front of him. So those are the elements that I thought were very different from the episodes we featured and given a lot of stick to. (laughs) (laughs) And Tim, when he chose his contender to change our opinion or alter our opinion of dark fantasy last week with letters from the day before Thursday, (laughs) (laughs) also picked one that was very linear, very focused and stuck to the storyline. And so I think we've done that two weeks in a row. Both of these are focused and there's no weird out of left field twists. I will add the caveat that I'm not suggesting this is a perfect script. It's got a lot of Bishop's Mm -hmm. faults in there, but they're buried under stronger things. (laughs) I will say that all the things that you mentioned just now about the moments and things that you like about the script, I 100% agree. Now I can go straight to, here's all the things I hated about it. But (laughs) before we delve into that, Tim, what was your first take on all this? Uh, I had actually heard this episode before, and I really enjoyed it. It's very specifically to me in the the really old style of Hermit's Cave, Witch's Tale, and also like the anthology comic books of Tales from the Crypt and things like that. It, like It's like a really good old chestnut sort of story for me, and I really enjoyed it. And in fact, the only reason I didn't choose this one instead is is this one doesn't have that Scott Bishop kind of weird, floaty, uncertainty-ness to it. This is pretty clear-cut. Oh, to jump onto that, I thought it was interesting that this is one of those Scott Bishop scripts that is dreamlike because it actually incorporated into the script whether or not this is or isn't a dream. Uh, yes, I agree with that. Like, <laughs> he does like straight up fall asleep. Yeah, that was a really exciting scene when he fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we even try? There's no pleasing you. Well, this was a lot better than last week's. Uh, I love the scene where the, the chauffeur drives the car off the road and decapitates him. Like, I don't know, Jan and Dean or whoever. There's like eight people that died in a car accident in the 60s and were decapitated. I can't remember. It was only All one. at the same time. Was it James Dean? Oh, who was it? No. I can't remember. It was Jane Mansfield was one was of it? them. Jan and Dean, didn't they? There was a head injury. He was fine. He's you know, not fine, but he, he This is a separate discussion for our Decapitated Celebrities <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I also like the idea, by the way, it's horrific, that if you get decapitated in real life, that your afterlife is headless. That's insult to injury. That's, that's <laughs> mean. So one of the things that happened that bothered me, and I just let it go, but I'm just going to bring it up because I spent 10 seconds going, what is this concept of a one-person tour of the Tower of London? Yeah, you can go anywhere you want. Yeah, play the organ. Like, there's something about that that makes me crazy. Like, you can just walk into the Tower of London, some guy will just show you around, and you can do anything you want. Hey, you want to sleep in the Queen's bed? (laughs) (laughs) Having uh, guided tours in various places before? Like, yeah, that's all cool. That's that's totally 100% accurate. Like, if it's just one person, you want to take a drawer? (laughs) (laughs) But I let that go, but it it makes me nuts that there isn't an explanation at the top of, I'm going to the Tower of London. In addition, he lives in London, and here's a whole- Wait, 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 wait. What? He got to the castle too fast for you? (laughs) They could see my face right now. No, (laughs) it's just a really quick explanation, because here's the deal. They live in London, right? Which, by the way, need no, they don't have English accents, and yet they live in London. Okay, again, I had to let that go. And they never explain this. You just have to extrapolate this information. He just decided, hey, after work today, I'm going to go over to the Tower of London and take a one-person tour. <laughs> like, why? I just give me some kind of setup. Like, it's weird how we got to the castle. How's that, Tim? I like that we started in the castle. But th- this is back to the dream logic thing. Yeah. You couldn't take any Scott Bishop script and start it with, 
I dreamt, and then put the premise of the episode. So it's like, I dreamt I was at the Tower of London, and then suddenly I was like, oh, that actually works. Like a dream. You can say, I dreamt I went to the library in a strange little small town. (laughs) (laughs) The same thing last week. We didn't get any reason why this inventor suddenly was in a hick library in a small town to put together his invention. So that's the dark side of starting a story too quickly, Eric. Yeah. (laughs) Without some setup, it can also be frustrating. But I just totally bought that. Because he got to the premise so quickly, I was willing to forgive it because I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you that and you're going to give me Ghosts in the Tower of London. That's a fair exchange. Explain to me then, why did the tour guide say, yeah, play the organ? Swift with an E. (laughs) Swift with an E, yes. And he says, yeah, you can play the organ. And then they hear the guy singing and he goes, what is it? And he's, I don't know. And then he's like, I don't know, I don't know. And then he says, Actually, I do know it's uh, anybody plays the organ for the first time. Like that makes me crazy. That Why don't start it with you can play the organ, but just so you know, when someone plays the organ for the first time, we usually this ghost comes out because he knows that because he admits it later that he knew that. And then why did he leave and lock him in there? Is he uh, some kind of toady for the ghost? Does he work for them? Now that you play that organ, you got to stay in here. I took it that he was in league with the ghosts because he says all those mysterious things like you see because you don't want to see or whatever it is, he says. Uh, I wrote that down because I actually like the line. He says, you only see as far as you permit yourself to see. So I think he's clearly a weird old kook. But the problem with Bishop is you never, it's hard to tell the difference between clunky bad dialogue and intentionally vague or mysterious dialogue. It could be either one. (laughs) The story is also such a, I mean, cliche is a little more insulting than I mean to be, but it's like classic tropes that that idea of like locked in the museum overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just inevitable that if he's there late enough, he's going to be locked in overnight. Because I also took it as something supernatural that put him to sleep. Yes. And there's also another weird mention later on, like the headless guy says, yes, the door is locked, but you'll be able to pass through it. You know, Joshua, you said something two minutes ago that if someone would have said to me, and maybe you guys didn't, I just don't listen to you guys very well. (laughs) If someone would have said to me a long time ago, hey, when you listen to Dark Fantasy, right before you hit play, say to yourself that there's a line missing of dialogue that says, I had a dream and this is what happened. Then I'm okay with all of this, Uh, especially if you wake up and get decapitated. (laughs) (laughs) That helps me along. But what you guys are saying is that there's a whole brand of literature out there, especially sci-fi or fantasy that comes at you from that dream perspective. I don't know I'd go that far, but Scott Bishop certainly seems to do that. That's well, We've had some Lovecraft that definitely have that quality to it. Uh, he will deal more in uncertainties, and we were not going to reveal everything to you, but Bishop specifically is one step to the next is not logical. It's not a reasonable, expected step. And at its best, it's sort of like, oh, I see where some imagery sort of invokes that next step. And at its worst, it's like, there's no reason that just happened. Let me ask you this, and I'll be very honest, both of you. Do you think Bishop is a clunky bad writer or he's writing from the standpoint of, I write like you're watching a dream? I think he is a off and on writer who's trying to do something very hard and doesn't succeed very often. Which is, Right from the perspective of everything's a dream? Uh, yeah, to recreate the uncertainty of, of being in a dream where you care enough and you're invested enough to not just give up on it, but you can never, I mean, literally moment to moment, you cannot know what's going to happen because it is all from the deepest wells of possible imagination. Joshua. I tend to agree with Tim. I think this is a guy who's trying for something that he can't quite pull off. And so... It depends on the listener what speaks stronger to you, his intent or his inability. (laughs) uh, Because there are people who love dark fantasy. And when you talk to them, I think what they're describing is this mood that he does successfully achieve. And part of it is also how he directs his actors, because they do match this dreamlike tone. There's a a monotone quality to it and it Mm. seems to move along like this and it has an almost hypnotic quality to the performance 
in a very literal sense. Not that they're so compelling as performers that it's mesmerizing, but there's a hypnotic rhythm, repetitive rhythm in their speech. So yeah, it could all be an accident. He could be just thinking he's writing these straightforward thrillers. This is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we are just reading into it. But I do think there's some quality there that's unlike anything else. I mean, Tim has brought up Hermit's Cave, for example. And Hermit's Cave is pretty much, for the most part, to me, just boring hack material. And I never sense this sort of weird undercurrent of something going on underneath it. It just is 90% of the time just fast, not very competent writing. Arguably, Bishop has far worse scripts often, but there's something going on under there. And when they're bad, they have these just spectacular ideas behind them. Yeah, that's what I find so compelling about it is not that there's hidden layers and we just got to dig deeper. It's just that it's more than on the surface, which I suppose I just undid what I said. <laughs> I know that what you're sounds saying. like something from a Scott Bishop script. <laughs> yes, it makes me talk this way. It's confusing and contradictory, yet intriguing. I, I guess I just can't get past the idea that I think he's trying to tell a story and he's just not very good at it. And I know what you guys are saying, that there's a possibility or that you believe that he's trying to do something else. It's a little deeper, a little more difficult to pull off. But perhaps he's just a guy trying to write radio drama and he's so all over the place and he doesn't have the ability to connect the dots like Mm -hmm. we need them connected for us to be along for the ride. Otherwise, we get distracted by things like, is this guy working for the ghosts and why do they want him in their procession so badly and yeah see now here i would just disagree with you because this is so simple and this is so part like tim says of a classic type of ghost story i mean i don't disagree with you i think that's a legitimate complaint but i don't think it's specifically scott bishop in that case i think it's scott bishop for once following a well-established trope again this is very much like an mr james ghost story where this is the cryptic rules of the dead And it is absurd. There's no reason he should have to come back here. So he doesn't quite even believe that he should do it. Where he's like, could I maybe do it some other time? I'm late for dinner. That was the best. (laughs) You're going to negotiate? You can can do that? (laughs) And that, I'll give you, is clunky Scott Bishop writing. (laughs) That that took all the tension out of that scene when he's like, oh, I got to do my laundry tonight. (laughs) Can I join your headless procession tomorrow? (laughs) And it's never clear what the procession's going to be. Like, it could just be like, we just throw candy to the kids. <laughs> yeah. Yep. There's a weird suggestion, and it's vague, that it's just this uncomfortable procession. And if he had just agreed, it would have been weird, possibly, but he would have lived through it. Because the ghost says, if you don't show up tomorrow at midnight, you're not going to like it. It's going to be much better to stay here and do the procession now. And he doesn't show up, and that's when he gets decapitated. It's like a dentist. maybe i need a different dentist (laughs) everything that you guys are saying are all the things that make me crazy like i don't know what's going on like why 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 that's what it is why that's what never gets answered why are you here why is he leaving why are you staying why are you going why do they need you why 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 i i need those answered Yeah, you'll never like Scott Bishop then because you want more questions answered than I do in a script. Right. And then Scott Bishop has that combination of ambition and incompetence. So there are legitimate (laughs) missing answers that are like fundamental things that should be part of a story. And then he's also playing with types of stories that shouldn't give you all the answers. And I think it activates the like five-year-old in you, Eric, and you're just like, why, 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 why? (laughs) And so you're just asking it, you know, in an existential way, almost like, why, Scott Bishop? The, uh, we recognize, like, Scott Bishop is trying to do this thing, and that you, Eric, are just like, don't do that thing. That's not a good thing to do. (laughs) Right. Also, I think that Scott Bishop's tombstone says, uh, here lies Scott Bishop, ambition, incompetence. (laughs) (laughs) And his feet are sticking out of the ground. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that I could let some things go because I know, for example, Tim really likes this kind of uh, ambivalence, right? 
Yeah, the, the lack of why is what makes it disturbing to me. Like, right. That's the horror. Right. There is no why. Like I said, there are two different type of why questions going on in the script. I think there's like, why are you even at the Tower of London? Right. Who are you? Which I think could add to the suspense. So those are important whys. I think the actual like rules of the headless procession, like it's a sports team, I don't think adds to any sort of suspense. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if you take suspense on a country road, okay, I'm just throwing one out there that I love dearly. And you say, well, why do you love that and not this? I know that's not a ghost story and it's kind of apples to oranges, but what I'm getting at is we know who's in the car. We know where they're going. We know why the car stops. We know what's at stake when the person tries to get in the car and we know the dilemma. There's nothing in there where I go, why, why, why would that happen? I think a stronger comparison would be something like ghost hunt. Yeah. A stronger comparison, but a totally unfair one. It's one of the classic episodes of old time radio. But again, we don't know much about the ghosts or why they, say the things they say to the DJ and why they make him run to his death. But we know everything about the DJ. We know the very mundane reasons he's there and the reasons he's in that haunted house. That's a good example of the right questions not being answered and the right questions getting to answer. Yeah. I I I mean, I think we can all agree Scott Bishop is not a great writer. (laughs) Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) So let's feature him on a third episode. (laughs) Let's just really shoot ourselves in the foot. I have to put a caveat on that because part of the reason we keep coming back to him is these episodes where like the first 10 minutes are so good. Yep. But like, I want to hear that show. Why will you not finish that show? There's a part of me that thinks that Scott Bishop would have been an amazing producer. He's the guy with the crazy ideas who tells a more talented writer, okay, it's an opera singer and he gets his brain put in an ape. And the guy's like, you got to be kidding me. But Okay, I'll take that as a challenge. I'm going to make that work, Scott Bishop. His ideas are so original for the most part, but he just doesn't know what to do with them. I worked for a long time for a gentleman by the name of Mike Veck. He's a baseball team owner that is known for his wacky promotions. And that's what he would do. He would come into the office and come up with these insane ideas and then walk away. And it was left to us to go, how do we make that happen? In some cases, legally. (laughs) insurance covered but he would have these tremendous ideas but not how to actually make it work the staff would make them work and then it would be phenomenal so i think you're right that would be a great thing for bishop to do is here's this great idea let someone make it work within the confines of making it a good radio drama i think that's a really great example joshua we also talked a little bit last time, or at least I said it, so I'll, I'll say it was us. Bishop's trouble with a transition. So it might be that, like, I've got this great start, and now I just got to move into the second act and, like, advance this a little bit, change it up a little bit, keep moving, and I just can't do it, so I'm going to tank it. <laughs> I'm going to just blow a hole in the bottom of the boat because I can't turn it. Yeah. <laughs> like you're writing that great essay in college, and then you fall asleep, and you wake up the next morning and realize you got to finish it. You have a half an, and you have a half an hour to get to class. Or that I finish it in my sleep is the other. Right. <laughs> oh, no. All right, let's send this to a vote. Tim, start. Uh, I don't know that I call it a classic. I mean, it stands the test of time to me because it is, to me, a really good example of this kind of old chestnut uh, morality tale kind of ghost story and it's spooky and the headless ghosts are a great image to me so i i really enjoyed it but you know not a classic <laughs> i will say that um not a classic kind of stands the test of time not historically significant nothing i'm really as you can tell from our discussion that in love with i will give it this compliment it is by far my favorite dark fantasy i mean it's hard to not love the terrible dark fantasies for their terribleness. And that's really fun to listen to that terribleness. But from the standpoint of, I think this is the best written and performed and produced. So I'll give it that. Yeah, I think this one is satisfying, but predictable. But in all fairness, I don't think it was supposed to surprise anyone. It was called The Headless Dead. So I don't <laughs> I don't think he was looking for a lot of surprise twists. I think it 
is definitely that style of ghost story that has the um, creeping dread to it. It's the dread of the expected, exactly what you expect to happen and you're waiting for it to happen. Um, I mean, it does like all of Scott Bishop has this schizophrenic quality where it's got that final scene that is a great masterful piece of audio combined with really lazy audio writing. Like if they had put some Foley under his dream description of the dead coming out from under the granite slabs and walking down the passages of the church, that would have been fantastic. Uh, So it's, it's all weird. It has the clunky dialogue. There's, <laughs> I didn't mention yeah. it, but the weird moment where he confesses to his wife that he was at the Tower of London like he was having an affair. He's right. Like, I, was, <laughs> I was at the Tower last night. It didn't mean anything, Annie. I don't love the Tower. <laughs> <laughs> again, it's a weird thing to do. But I think he successfully, again, creates this dreamlike atmosphere of unease, and he actually pulls off an ending, which is... yes rare so um i think because of its classic nature it stands the test of time just barely (laughs) i would agree with that like it's gonna expire two years yeah drink it now use it in a recipe starting to go back (laughs) tim tell them stuff Please go visit coolishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can comment on episodes. You can leave messages to us. You can request episodes we listen to instead of more dark fantasy. This is what we get when you leave us on our own. Um, (laughs) You can also link to our social media pages, whatever you want to tell us. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and give us some money. Just tell us never to do dark fantasy again. <laughs> you can bribe us. Um, you can also go to iTunes and write a review because we like reviews. And if you'd like to see us perform live, we currently are at Park Square Theater in St. Paul is where we perform monthly. And since uh, April of 2020, instead of performing recreations of old-time radio live on stage, we have been writing original works, uh, recording them and producing them. And you can go buy a ticket to hear this at parksquaretheater.org the night that we air them. We're there with you live. We talk about it and we have a Q&A afterwards. So you can gather around your computer and listen to our original works, just like old time radio. Tickets are cheap. Parksquaretheater.org. And what's coming up next? Next, we have an episode of Quiet, Please, called Wear the Dead Man's Coat. Until then. Look out! Pickers. Dozens of them now. Leaving their tombs. Forming a procession down the middle aisle of the chapel. And each of them 